As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. The all-star game in the rearview mirror. Trade deadline less than two weeks away. And pennant races are getting ready to really heat up. I'm Tim McMaster, as I am every week, along with Ken Rosenthal. We have a packed mailbag today. Lots of deadline questions, as you would imagine. Ken, honestly, I hope you've just dried off at this point. We're recording on Sunday morning. You were in the Bronx Saturday night for Red Sox-Yankees, which was, it was just a mess. It was a mess, and it was a quite interesting situation when you have a 50-minute rain delay, 5-0, without any rain, and then the game starts, and shortly after it starts, it rains the entire game and rains (laughs) really hard for quite a large portion of that. And I was fine. I had an umbrella. I'm good. But there's a young woman, a photographer right next to me, a still photographer. She had no umbrella, no poncho. And actually, another photographer offered her one. She was like, nah, I'm good. And she stood there the entire night taking her photos. I admired her. I told her that. Uh, But it was ugly. Yes. Yeah, certainly. And it ended up uh, the Yankees get the win in that one. Uh, Six innings shortened. They get two solo home runs in that sixth inning when the rain really got bad. It was just... Uh, it was just messy, um, but they they get the win. They finally beat the Red Sox, eighth head-to-head matchup of the season, and the Yankees finally get one. Uh, and Garrett Cole was on the mound, and Garrett Cole, despite the terrible weather, was great again, and he is showing, Ken, that, you know what, if you're a great pitcher, you don't really need that sticky stuff. Well, it's really interesting to see what Cole has done in his last two starts against the Astros and the Red Sox, two of the best offensive teams in baseball. In those two starts, 15 innings, one earned run, 23 strikeouts, four walks. And that's pretty good. Now, Cole did seemingly have an adjustment period. Now, whether he says it was mechanical or whether it was due to the sticky stuff, whatever the truth might have been, we have gone through this now. It's been about, well, it's been over a month since the pitchers were first informed that this was coming down, the crackdown on foreign substances. And what we're seeing is kind of normalcy returning. And I say normalcy both to the sport 
in the balance of the pitcher-hitter dynamic. And also, you're not seeing great protests or any craziness on the mound. It was that one day we had Scherzer, we had Sergio Romo, and that's it. And so often in this sport, when rules changes are made, and this wasn't technically a change, this was just a change in enforcement. But you remember the home plate collision rule, the neighborhood play at second base, different things that have changed over the years. There was an immediate outcry, there were some problems at the start, and then things calmed down. That is what we're seeing here, and it's a healthy thing. Now, that said, baseball cannot be done we still need a universal foreign substance if they can develop one, or better still, attack your ball so the grip problem is not a problem the way it has been. But it's just worth noting, for all we talked about how this was a problem, and it was, and the solution to the problem, which was the increased enforcement, things now seem to be more normal. Now, the one outstanding thing, the one thing that still remains to be seen, is whether it will lead to any difference in pitchers physically. If guys will get hurt, that perhaps would not have gotten hurt otherwise. Remember Tyler Glass now saying this is what caused it. I don't know how true that was. There were other issues I'm sure with Glass now, but I've heard from different pitchers that they're worried about increased risk of injury because they're gripping the ball harder. It puts pressure on their forearm. I get it. But to this point, we really haven't seen too much of that, at least as far as I can tell. It certainly is human nature to complain about change, not just in baseball, but we've certainly seen it in baseball. All right, I mentioned the trade deadline off the top, and you have a big story out today kind of looking big picture at this trade deadline. What do you expect? Because it is a little different this year because of the stuff we just talked about and other stuff. But but big picture, before we get specific with the mailbag questions, what are you kind of seeing over the next two weeks? Tim, I always expect action. And you always hear hemming and hawing this time of year. Hey, I'm not just going to give my guy away. No, I'm not shopping, just listening. All of the trade hyperbole and, frankly, BS that front office people will say. And then once we get down to it, the last few days, you see a lot of action. And I do expect that this year. We have some obvious sellers. We have some shifting dynamics as well. And we'll discuss some of them as we get into the mailbag. When I say shifting dynamics, teams that are maybe shifting from one place to the other, buyer to seller, or maybe both. So it's going to be interesting. Obviously, the Cubs are going to be the fulcrum of it. The Twins are, I would expect, an active seller as well. The Diamondbacks, there are a number of teams that will be looking to do things, the Pirates. So yes, I expect action. To what extent, I don't know. And I will share this, that at this time of year, I'm always trying to figure out who the player is that we don't expect to get traded, but will get traded. Now, obviously, I always fail at it because if it was something you could figure out, it wouldn't be a surprise. But I spend a lot of time doing that and not seeing anybody just yet. But because of what I just said, teams falling potentially out of the race, we could see some things happen late that maybe right now we can't foresee. Yeah, we've seen in recent years that with the, the double wild card and all that things, teams wait as long as possible. It'll probably be that way again. All right, let's get into the mailbag. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. 
All right, if you want to get involved next week or get your voice on the show, call the mailbag. You can call it at 646-543-7072. We also have the email. That's tabaseballshow at gmail.com. And we love the feedback we get on Twitter or through the email or voicemail. But the one thing I do want to say here, and I'm sure you agree with this, Ken, there has been some complaints on Twitter about the team. Like, you guys don't talk about this team on the show. You guys only talk about this team on the show. The fact about this show is it's a mailbag. So we talk about what you ask us about. So if you have a problem with what we're talking about, use the voicemail line, use the email. We will talk about the teams you want us to because that's the way this show works. Tim, I am shocked that people on Twitter are complaining. I know. It's uh, absolutely shocked. And and your Twitter is like no other, Ken. And, and I've learned to appreciate that over the course of this season and kind of following along. Um, all right. That all said, and I, I'm not doing this to troll people, but we're going to start with the Yankees question. Hello, it's uh, Frank Karpinski, and I was wondering, are the Yankees going to be buyers or sellers come the end of the month? Thanks. Let me know. Frank, thanks for the call. And I said this on the pregame show last night, and actually during the broadcast as well, I believe. It's really difficult right now to imagine them as outright buyers. They're simply not in that kind of position. And now with the COVID situation hitting them, the losses of six players for at least 10 days, coming back in staggering schedules, I just can't see them saying, well, let's go over the luxury tax threshold, which they haven't wanted to do, and fully invest in this team when the playoff odds are like, I don't know, 25, 30%. It doesn't make much sense. They're not as good as the Red Sox. They're not as good as the Rays. We keep saying, oh, wow, the Yankees are going to have a run in them. Really? Why would we expect that at this point? The starting pitching beyond Cole is problematic. Their offense has been a major disappointment. Their defense is not good. Their base running is not good. There are all kinds of flaws. And frankly, one or two players probably can't fix them. So I don't expect them to buy in a big way with the idea of winning in 21. Could they add pieces that would help them in 22 and beyond? Yes, that would make more sense to me. I don't know how quite that would work, but that should be, in my opinion, their focus. And people might say, well, what about selling? They're not really built that way. They don't have a lot of expiring contracts. They've got a couple of relievers teams would want who are not on expiring contracts. Chad Green, probably the most attractive of those. He would be owed less than a million at the deadline. And then Zach Britton, he's a little bit more complicated because he's coming off a hamstring injury and he's got $14 million coming next year. But if he shows he is healthy in the next 11, 12 days, he becomes maybe an intriguing guy. But other than that, they're not going to trade Judge, especially can't trade him when he's on the COVID IL. So I don't see them being very active on the sell front. Maybe a little active on the buy front, but they're in a tough spot right now because their roster is kind of inflexible and they have a lot of pieces that just aren't performing the way they want. All right, good stuff. Let's go to the email next. This one from Nicholas. He has a Mariners question. Will the lack of a contract past this season affect how Jerry DePoto attacks the trade deadline? While Jerry has made a mixed bag of deals over his tenure, it seems weird to not let him fully see his own rebuild through and to handcuff him at this point. Nicholas, I would agree with that. And they've committed to Jerry DePoto and they've committed to this reimagining that is still in progress, and they've had a surprisingly good year. It's a little bit of an odd year. Their run differential is negative 54, and yet they're five games over 500. You look at fan graphs for the playoff odds, they've got them at 3.3%, and it's because they're chasing 
Oakland and Tampa Bay for the wild cards, and no one really thinks the Mariners are as good as either of those teams. But I would expect DePoto to stay the course. And what I mean by that is continue trying to build the next great Mariners team. And there are some really good signs here with this team. The one, the way they compete is really impressive. And of course, they've got talent on both the pitching and position player side that is intriguing to say the least. So Kendall Graveman is like a Chad Green sort of, although he's a free agent at the end of the year, unlike Green, very cheap. He's making only 1.25 million, which will be about 400,000 at the deadline. The Mariners can definitely get something pretty good for him and maybe some of their other relievers too. Obviously, you don't want to completely tear the team apart when they've played as well as they have, but I can see them trading Graveman, maybe even Hanniger, but man, he's under control for next year. He's going to be relatively affordable, making only $3 million this year. It'll be his last year of arbitration. He'll probably go to, I don't know, six, seven, eight. So I would keep him, and I would see where this goes. But at the same time, if they can get value for some of their other players that are not under control, then you go ahead and look at that. Whether it's the offseason or the trade deadline, if there's one certainty in baseball, it's that Jerry DePoto will be active. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, back to voicemail. We had multiple Reds questions this week. This one uh, rose as the, the cream of the crop. Here you go, Ken. Hey, I'm Sam from Columbus, Ohio, and I'm a Reds fan. And uh, I'm wondering what the Reds will do with their bullpen at the deadline. Uh, the offense and starting pitching has been pretty good lately, but uh, the bullpen's been terrible pretty much all year long. The fans are hoping that the Reds go out and get an arm, but the front office seems to hope that when Lorenzen and T.J. Antone and Lucas Sims get healthy, that uh, the bullpen will get better. So uh, will the Reds be aggressive, or will they just stand pat? Sam, this is one of these teams that I mentioned earlier that fall into the shifting dynamic category. Now, the Reds entered the break. They had won three or four from the Brewers. They were surging. They had looked really good. And yet... They come out of the break, and they've lost two straight to the Brewers, including a heartbreaker last night, and including a game in which Michael Lorenzen, who had just come off the injured list, had a right hamstring injury trying to score on a sacrifice fly. They used him as a pitcher and a hitter, and in the physical part of it, it backfired. So where are they now? Six games out, five games out in the wild card race, 14% chance of making the playoffs, according to fan graphs. Their owner, Bob Castellini, routinely goes for it. He likes to go for it. And in that sense, he's been a good owner. In other senses, maybe not. But how realistic is it 
if they continue to fall. Now, today's game is actually a huge game for them. It's Sonny Gray against Burns. They've got to get a game back in the standings against the Brewers if they intend or if they are serious about staying in this thing. So if they do buy, yes, bullpen for sure. They've got Anton coming back and they've got Sims coming back right at the deadline. Those are two of their best relievers. And yes, you can certainly look forward to that, but they need more. We've seen it all season. It's been a huge mess for them, the bullpen. They've got the opt-out with Castellanos as well at the end of the year. So that's something they have to keep in mind. This is maybe their best chance in the next couple of years to make a run. So maybe they kind of thread the needle here and do a little bit of everything. But if I'm them and I fall back anymore, I've got to look at selling. And I've got to look at selling Luis Castillo, who has a 1.76 ERA in his last nine starts, or Sonny Gray, who has been good all season when healthy. He's been on the IL three times. 3.19 ERA, that is. They don't like to sell. I don't expect them to sell. But in a market that is starved for starting pitching, you could do really well with those guys. And that's something, if I'm the Reds, that I'd look at if this gets worse. They have every reason to go forward and every reason to try, and I'm all for it. But let's see what the next week brings. All right, back to the big market teams and the Dodgers. This one from Aiden. He says, did the Dodgers go out and try to get a third baseman this year? Do they go for another high market player like Machado and Darvish, who they got in the past few years? Also, do they go for a fourth or fifth starter, not knowing how Trevor, how long Trevor Bauer will be out? Aiden, first of all, third base is <laughs> fine. Justin Turner just signed a two-year deal for $34 million. This is the first year he has the highest OPS plus of any third baseman in baseball. So... I'm not too worried about third base. Starting pitching is another story, and it's not just the uncertainty with Bauer. It's now Kershaw being out until at least August with the issues that he is dealing with. It's so funny that in this game, how things can so quickly turn. You remember at the start of the season, we were talking about the Dodgers and saying, man, they don't even need Bauer. What are they doing? This is excess. Now, Bowers obviously was a great pitcher, but why did they commit that much money when they had Kershaw and Bueller and Arias and May and Gonsal and Price and even Jimmy Nelson and Josiah Gray coming? Well, we've seen that that equation's kind of fallen apart, right? So now, yes, they need a starting pitcher because of the uncertainty with Bauer, because of the uncertainty with Kershaw, different kinds of uncertainty, obviously. And... I do expect them to be active. It might not be a number one type guy because, frankly, that pitcher is not available, at least at the moment, but maybe some depth options. All right, staying out west in the same division, the Dodgers rival the Padres in a voicemail. Hey, this is Sam. I'm a San Diego Padres fan, and I know that we need starting pitching and some bench depth. I just don't know who the best options are for us, so I was wondering if you could answer that. Thanks. Everyone's wondering, Sam, who the best starting pitching options are Right now, we're looking at Kyle Gibson, maybe Jose Barrios from the Twins, John Gray from the Rockies, guys like that. And the question you'd have to ask is, okay, where do they fit into a playoff rotation? None of them is probably at the top except for Barrios. And it's not even clear what the Twins will do with him. If a Scherzer becomes available or someone else big time becomes available, okay, but... I'm not necessarily anticipating that, but you're absolutely right. This is a need for the Padres. Darvish on the IL with the left hip. Weathers on the IL with a right ankle. Snell just came back from the gastroenteritis. 
but he hasn't really pitched that well. 5.21 ERA this season. So I would expect their focus to be there, but I do know, and Dennis Lynn of The Athletic has reported this, that Padres GM AJ Preller loves Joey Gallo. Like, loves, loves, loves. So offense is not a particular need. It's gotten better. They had the obvious eruption the other night in Washington. But at the same time, would a Gallo-Gibson big deal make sense? Gallo and Kyle Gibson? It would make sense, but keep in mind, the Padres system is not what it was two or three years ago. It's a little bit, down is not the right word, but it's taken a step back. One, because of trades. Two, because Mackenzie Gore has not progressed. Abrams is hurt. So I don't know if they'll be able to do what they've done in the past because their system is not as highly regarded as it was just in recent years. All right, so the Braves have actually gotten busy early as far as the the deadline goes. They got Jock Peterson and Steven Vogt late last week, but Marcus from Brooklyn would like to know more about their strategy. Hi, Ken. This is Marcus from Brooklyn. I'm a big New York Mets fan, but my question actually concerns the Braves and how their strategy at the trading deadline is going to you know, move around now with Acuna being out for the year. So before he went down, I would have assumed that the Braves would be big buyers at the deadlines. But on the flip side, they also have some assets at the major league level that could yield some decent prospect returns, like, say, Charlie Morton uh, in a very shallow pitching market. So my question really is, do you think they try and make a push for this season? Do they decide it's time to punt? Or do they maybe make a trade for someone like a Brian Reynolds who will give you a shot at filling in some production this year but also puts you in a position to maybe compete next year as well? Marcus, great observations. And first off, on Reynolds, he's not going to be traded. The Pirates are only going to be looking at trading guys with three years or less control, and Reynolds actually has more than that. So that's not a guy that they're going to move. Actually, that's a guy they're going to try to build around a little bit. So let's cross him off the list. But to the Braves, this is what, again, I was talking about with shifting dynamics. The Braves have made two moves, as Tim mentioned, right? They get Peterson, they get Vote. And yet, you look at them and you say, whoa, they're down Acuna, they're down Azuna, they don't have Sirocco, all of these things have gone wrong, Darno is not back yet, and that's all true. And it would point, perhaps, to a sell mode. But, here's the thing, and I wrote this on Twitter the other day, and Mets fans went bananas because I said it like this, but the Mets have failed to pull away. Now, failed is probably a harsh word. The Mets have yet to pull away. And failed is the word I use. I got it. I got it. But that's the reality. The lead as of Sunday morning when we recorded this, over the Phillies, two and a half games. Over the Braves, three games. Over the Nationals, who are really not good, five and a half games. So those teams are looking at this. They know now on Sunday morning that Lindor is on the injured list with an oblique. They know now that Jacob deGrom there are physical questions with him. They're not going to concede easily unless the bottom falls out for them in the next two weeks. So I expect the Braves to continue trying to improve and maybe seeing an opportunity to possibly steal the division. Keep in mind, Alex Anthopoulos, their president of baseball operations, he has been to the playoffs six straight years. First with the Blue Jays as their GM, then a couple of years with the Dodgers when he was in their front office, and now three straight years with the Braves. That's what he's accustomed to, and that's what he's going to want to do. But again, 
this next week to 10 days is going to be critical for them. Now, if they do fall out, which I don't expect, but if they do, Charlie Morton maybe becomes the bell of the ball from the starting pitching market standpoint. You mentioned the injuries to Lindor and the issues with DeGrom right now. Uh, this next question is about the Mets. It came in before that news, but still relevant. Hey, Ken, it's Joe in Nashville. Hope you are well. So I think the Mets could either go really big at the trade deadline or do almost nothing. I hope they don't do nothing. I really think this is an opportunity to push for this title. Tell me about it. What do you think? Have a great day. Joe, they are in a good position. Now, if Lindor was healthy and if you were confident DeGrom was healthy, and maybe they are, maybe this is just another little hiccup, it's hard to tell, I'd feel really good about an all-out push. But right now, they need starting pitching. Because first off, you don't know how pitchers are going to hold up coming off the shortened season. So all teams want starting pitching depth. And the Mets, DeGrom, Walker, Stroman, fantastic. Beyond that, it gets a little questionable. Carrasco, hopefully coming back. McGill's been pretty good. But yes, they would need to supplement there. From a position player standpoint, the Lindor injury, depending upon how they see it, if it's a six to eight week thing, well, you might want a shortstop. So the real X factor here is their owner, Steve Cohen. He's a new owner. He's got a lot of money. We all know that. He's the wealthiest owner. But we have not seen him operate at a deadline yet. Now, he told reporters recently that if he's going to go over the luxury tax threshold, and the Mets are fairly close, it's pointless to go over by a million or two. And he's absolutely right about that. Why take the penalties when you're going over by a million or two? You go all in. Could they do that? Sure, they could do that. Will they? I'm not yet convinced, but it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out with them. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. All right, last couple questions, Ken. A little bit away from the deadline. This first one comes from email, and it's Nick. He says, there's talk of Nolan Arenado possibly opting out of his contract with the Cardinals if they continue to struggle this year or next year. Do you see Nolan taking that risk of opting out and taking a hit financially to go to a contending team like his hometown Dodgers or any one other legit World Series contender and take a pay cut? Thanks. Wow, that's an interesting question. Arenado has $164 million left over the next five years after this season. So that's what he would be opting out of. That's what he'd be leaving on the table. 
almost 33 million per year over five years. It's a lot of money. Could he get more on the open market? Possibly, but let's look at the bigger picture too. This is a collective bargaining year and we could have a lockout very well. And if that happens, the market's going to be disrupted. He still could get his money, but at the same time, it's uncertain. Now, he was quoted after the trade several times as saying he's not looking to opt out. There's a very high chance he won't opt out. He doesn't see it that way. He also has an opt out after 2022. If you remember the terms of the trade, because he had the no trade clause, they had to entice him to waive that. Players routinely get something for waiving the no trade clause because effectively it's a financial part of the contract. It's worth something. And that was part of what he got. Opting out after 22 would make more sense to me because by then a new CBA will be in place. Teams generally spend more when they know labor peace is assured. And at that point, he would have had another year with the Cardinals. And if they go south again, then maybe he thinks, okay, I want, I might want to explore this. And also another year of his contract would be off the books. He'd be left with four years of pay, not five. All that is said with the knowledge that Arenado this year has not quite been offensively what he was from 15 to 19 in Colorado when he was basically a guy with OPS plus 30% above league average. This year, only 17% above. It's a decline. It's not a massive decline, but it's a decline. So it's not necessarily the best time for him to say, okay, I'm hitting the open market. I'm having a great year. He's having an okay year. It has not been a great year. All right, one last question, and this one goes back to the All-Star game a little bit. Uh, it's from Adam. What do you think about MLB changing away from the NL versus AL format in the All-Star game and instead incorporating a fantasy draft like the NBA currently has? Any other fun ideas for the game itself or new skills competitions? He's opening up the bag here. Adam, I had to actually research what the NBA does because I don't follow it that closely. And it yep. is interesting. They have two players, one for each team basically pick their own teams. It's cool. I like it. I don't know that it would work in baseball for a lot of reasons, but keep in mind, every time someone like me or someone in baseball or someone anywhere suggests this sport do something different, fans have, or at least some fans have, what I would call a conniption. And a lot of people are resistant to change. And I would look for change in more meaningful areas than the All-Star game. To me, the All-Star game is fine. I'd like to see the players back in their normal uniform. That's kind of something that was lost this year, but I don't have a problem with the format. I'm glad that we don't do the this time it counts thing anymore, even though that was a Fox creation. It just didn't work out that well. Uh, this year's game was actually quite fun, and I don't know that it needs tweaking. As for other skills competitions, I would like that. I think that would be cool. But given the concern for injuries that exist in the sport right now, I don't know that teams and the league would really be open to that. Home run derby is one thing. That's a blast. We all know that. But say a sprint competition or I don't know, whatever you might think of, any risk players are going to say, eh, I'm not so sure about that. Teams are going to say that. Agents are going to say that. 
I just don't see it. The one skill competition that that I think of that I think would be fun, but maybe I'm completely wrong with this. And it it makes me think of like um, combines and workout type things for baseball prospects is throwing home from the outfield where you'd have like an outfield competition where you could, you know, you try the, the goal is always the one hop to the catcher. So maybe there's like a bucket there that they have to hit to get the full points and then like miles per hour is counted into it. I don't know. Um, that's the one thing that, no, yeah, that's right? a cool idea. That, that is a cool idea. And I'm sure we could think of others, but again, even that Tim, let's say you had some great outfield arm out there and the guy is participating in this competition and oops, blows out his elbow. I guess that's possible in the home run derby. I know it's possible that things can happen, but I just don't know that baseball wants to invite anymore. Yeah, because guys would be going max effort with the throw too. So it definitely, uh, it would be scary. You'd have a lot of uh, owners, general managers, managers holding their breath throughout the competition. All right, another great batch of questions. Uh, We have one more of these shows before the trade deadline. So other teams definitely that we can get to next week. So get in your questions if you want to call the hotmail line at 646-543-7072. Or you can email us, tabaseballshow at gmail.com. You had a home game this week, Ken, with the Yankees. Where are you heading next week? Boston and the Yankees again. And I know people don't like hearing that. <laughs> well, you don't make your schedule for Fox, so it's okay. That's true. But people complain about Fox and ESPN, and, and I get it. And frankly, I would like to see us do a greater variety. The bottom line is we can talk about that, but the games people watch the most are Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, Cardinals. This is kind of how it works. So. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I get it, but we'll be doing Yankees-Red Sox again. Ratings are ratings at the end of the day. All right, keep coming back to the Athletic Baseball Show all week long. On Tuesday, of course, it's Starkville, Jason Stark and Doug Glanville. Then on Thursdays, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. That show, always a lot of fun. And then Derek Van Riper and Keith Law bringing you the latest on the younger players in the league, the front offices, and the prospects as well. Uh, If you want to read all those great writers, you can do that at The Athletic, and you can save right now for just $3.99 a month. That's the current deal. Go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. Ken, have a great week. Tim, you too. Thank you. All right. And have a great week to everyone out there as well. Thanks for listening.